1: Hello again, and thank you for joining me. This is Astronomy Daily, a podcast about uh, daily news in astronomy and space science, which you can also check out through our website, spacenuts.io. My name is Andrew Dunkley. I am your host. It's great to have your company once again. Now, uh, joining me, as always, is the voluptuous yet invisible Haley, our AI news reporter. Hi, Haley. How are you?
0: Hi, Andrew. I missed you yesterday. Hope you're okay.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, You know, we humans deal with various illnesses and viruses, and sometimes we just need a day.
0: I completely understand. I get viruses too, but I usually only need antivirus software or a technician to sort it out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure, and it takes less than a day, I imagine. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. Okay, Haley, we better get down to business as I say. What's uh, happening in the news?
0: Okay, let's see. It seems that the red giant star Betelgeuse was yellow some 2,000 years ago. Astrophysicists studying the star have successfully detected and dated such a color change as nuclear fusion in the center, as the star progressed. Ralph Neuhauser from Jena has included historical celestial observations in his astrophysical research. He closely collaborated, with his colleagues to collate the data which has been published in the latest issue of Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, the very fact that it changed in color within two millennia from yellow-orange to red tells us, that it has 14 times the mass of our sun and the mass is the main parameter defining the evolution of stars. Betelgeuse is now 14 million years old and in its late evolutionary phases. In about 1.5 million years, it will finally explode as a supernova. America's best astrophysicists are taking UFOs or UAPs seriously unidentified aerial phenomena, are flying in all manner of inexplicable ways, bobbing, weaving, hovering, diving, changing direction with head-turning speed that would produce potentially deadly g-forces to any living being or any living human being inside. NASA is launching its own investigation, beginning soon, to get to the bottom of the UAP mystery. Budgeted at a bargain rate of just $100,000, the study will run for nine months analyze all available video data and first-hand accounts amassed so far, and consult both military and civilian experts for their analysis of the evidence. A Texas company, Blue Walker 3 is set to launch a satellite on a SpaceX Falcon 9 this month that will unfold a huge array in low-Earth orbit, designed to provide a cellular broadband signal that mobile phones will connect to directly. The company hopes its final service satellites, called Bluebirds, will be even larger and would like to launch over a hundred of them. The company is testing the satellite's capability to connect to cell phones on the ground in the coming months. They plan to launch on a Falcon 9, from Kennedy Space Center on September 10. The European Space Agency's giant mechanical arm just pulled off its first maneuver, quietly moving a suitcase-sized payload from one side of an orbiting science module to another. The robotic arm successfully completed its first transfer outside the International Space Station, ESA announced on Thursday. Work on the European robotic arm continues. A so-called performance mission planned for some time this month will involve evaluating the performance of the brakes, joint motion and European robotic arms force control. Teams on ground will also assess the quality of the images captured by the cameras on its elbows. And that's the news Andrew.
1: Thank you, Hayley. We'll catch up with you before the end of today's show. Now, uh, Fred Watson and I on Space Nuts have spoken very recently and a few times, in fact, about the DART mission. Now, this is an exciting mission that NASA will be performing later this month. It's not far away. What they're trying to do is fly a spacecraft into an asteroid to see if they can knock it off course to test whether or not they could save Earth in a real-life situation like in the movie Armageddon. Uh, what they've targeted is a moonlet called Dimorphos and they want to knock it off its course and see if it can be sent in another direction. Now, the scientists involved are going to collate a lot of data to calculate what they need to do to divert any such asteroid headed straight for Earth. At the moment, we don't know of any. We've pretty well got the trajectories of most objects in our vicinity well on track, but there are some out there we probably don't know about. Uh, Now, this is the first time humanity has ever tested uh, something like this. It's a kinetic impactor planetary defence system, and uh, DART will hit Dimorphus on September 26th, and it should, they hope, shift its orbit and uh, just by a small amount, but enough to say if it was aimed for Earth, make it miss us by a reasonable amount. The HERA spacecraft will fly uh, out to perform a close-up survey of what happens after the impact. And I'm pleased to say that one of our Space Nuts listeners... Uh, Marie Claire uh, got herself a ticket to uh, the event on September 26th and we'll be hoping to speak with her about what she experiences uh, on that uh, fateful day when the DART mission concludes on September 26th. Aerospace Corporation has uh, unveiled a new facility in Colorado Springs. This is a place that's uh, pretty high tech. It's equipped with digital engineering Uh, simulation labs, and its goal is to support military space programs. It's a 90,000 square foot uh, piece of earth or a building, uh, the Space Warfighting Centre. That sounds ominous in itself, the Space Warfighting Centre. And it'll be used to work in areas uh, using digital tools for military space agencies To design satellites and train satellite operators. Sounds innocent enough, but when you put the word war into anything, it does make you wonder. Uh, The Space Warfighting Centre is next door to the aerospace facility in Colorado Springs at the airport, in fact. Jean-Michel, General Manager of Aerospace's Space Enterprise and Warfighting Division, has said the company decided to build the facility to meet local demand for technical design and specialised training. Well, we know Russia and China are pretty keen to get up there and uh, no doubt they'll be looking at defensive capabilities in space as well. So it's probably no surprise that uh, the Americans are doing the same thing.
0: The Astronomy Daily Podcast
1: with Andrew Dunkley.
0: What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today.
1: Now, when it comes to naming things, astronomers often leave a lot to be desired. Lots of numbers and letters and dashes and hyphens and you, you name it. Uh, But what about Steve? We've talked about Steve before on Space Nuts. Steve stands for Strong Thermal Emission Velocity Enhancement. Now, you know what the Aurora Borealis is and the Aurora Australis. Well, Steve is sort of one of those, but not quite. Um, What we know of with the aurora is that they're beautiful curtains of dancing light, uh, particularly around the northern and southern pole regions of the planet, caused by coronal mass ejections and the excitement of the molecules in our atmosphere. But what is Steve? Well, Steve is a similar sort of thing, but it's not a curtain. It's more of a ribbon, more of a streak of light, like a a jet passing over. Well, a Michigan-based photographer... Uh, got a a very unexpected bonus uh, just a few nights ago when he saw one of these Steves, a glowing uh, ribbon or stripe of light uh, right above his head. It was caused by strong thermal emission velocity enhancement, Steve. It's uh, a very rare atmospheric glow and he managed to get a photo of it. Uh, The current aurora displays have been fed by a coronal mass ejection, a a burst of charged particles from the regions uh, of the sun known as the corona and released by um, the star on September 2nd. I think we talked about the uh, potential destructive effect of some of those ejections that uh, have been in the news of late. The interaction of the material from the sun with the Earth's magnetic field triggered the geomagnetic storm. And it was further bolstered by an increased flow of solar wind from the opening in the sun's magnetic field. And thus, we got a damn fine look at Steve. You ought to uh, look at the image online and see if you can spot it. It is um, quite spectacular. I'm just trying to find the uh, fellow's name who took the photo so that you can look him up. Uh, his name was Isaac Diner, D I E N E R, if you want to check it out. It's really quite impressive. Okay, uh, anything else before we finish up, Haley?
0: Yes, Andrew. A movie night on the International Space Station got a little bit awkward recently when American astronauts and Russian cosmonauts on board settled back to catch a film. Unfortunately, the movie, called Vandy Hay, was a typical Hollywood film where the Americans were the good guys and the Russians were the bad guys. According to Roscosmos, this might be the last movie night on the ISS for a while.
1: You know, it might be the last one ever, given the fact that Russia is planning to get out of Dodge, boom, boom, and start their own space station, uh, probably in a joint venture with China. But uh, yeah, that, I can understand how that could be awkward given the current tensions uh, in Europe. All right. Thanks, Hayley. We'll catch you next time from me, Andrew Dunkley. That wraps it up for another episode of Astronomy Daily. Don't forget to visit us at spacenuts.io and click on the Astronomy Daily tab where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. In the meantime, make sure you catch up with the latest edition of Space Nuts. For now, this has been Andrew Dunkley for Astronomy Daily. The Astronomy Daily podcast with Andrew Dunkley.